our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. For those who remain, whether in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're looking this morning at the gospel principle of the church. As we continue in our series, we are His as we look at these gospel principles for marriage and singleness, parenting, sex, and life together in God's family. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll look at verses 14 through 22. This is God's Word. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's Word. Let's pray that He would teach us this morning. And Heavenly Father, we come to You now and pray You would help us to see the centrality, the importance of Your church in Your vision in your plan for the universe. And that you would help us to see how your work for your people equips us Lord, to no longer be divided by hostility, but in Christ to be made one. Teach us what this means, that we might know true healing in our relationships. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to say something stark. We confessed it together earlier, that outside of the church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. What a bold thing to say. Of course, the word ordinary there is important because it acknowledges that God, who is God of all and sovereign over all things, does as He pleases and He makes exceptions as He pleases whenever and wherever He wants. But But also, he tells us that the ordinary way he works in this world to bring sinners to himself is in and through the church. And and one of the implications of that is that you can't develop truly healthy, God-glorifying, eternally continuing relationships on your own, apart from 
what God is doing in and through the church. Think about the scheme of history, how it has unfolded. That at the beginning, when God made all things very good, he looked out and said, yet it's not good that man should be alone. And he put Adam to sleep and out of his side, he fashioned a, a helper suitable for him. One made in God's own image, perfect companion for him. That would bring him joy and life that would, that would make it possible for him to live for God's glory in the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke this perfection. They tainted that once perfect union. They corrupted their relationship. And as we see Genesis unfold, they corrupt every relationship from them was corrupted. Cain and Abel, Lamech. Noah and his sons, and the list goes on and on and on. And yet, God, who made all things very good, wasn't stymied or stumped by this. And out of the pierced side of his son, the Lord Jesus, is even now forming perfect bride, people for his own possession, who will dwell with him forever and ever as members of his own household, as citizens of his kingdom, where God will restore all things to be as they should be. And if, if the church then is so central to God's plans and purposes for the cosmos, for the whole universe, it ought to play a important role in our lives and in our relationships as well. So if you want to learn what it means to to develop truly, eternally healthy relationships, you need to learn what it means to do that in the church, to see what God is doing in the church. The church ought to be ground zero for the Lord's work to perfect our love for him and for our neighbors. Why Why does it always feel like that's what's happening? I mean, you've been in the church long enough, maybe. Today, you've been here today. Like, why doesn't it feel like that's what's happening? Why does it feel like the church is the place where dysfunction seems to reign from the nursery to the pulpit? Why are relationships not always just, just right in the congregation of the righteous? Why do we have feuds and fights among us? There's a lot of ways we could answer that question. I think one way, and the way that we're going to consider this morning, is that all too often when we look at the church, we don't look at it through God's eyes. We don't see it as God does. We don't understand what it is God is actually doing in and through the church, and therefore in and through us. And so we're going to look at three things this morning that might open our eyes a little bit more to what God is doing to make the church ground zero for his work, to heal and perfect our love for God and neighbor. And the first is this. In the church, 
Christ, our peace, unites us to one another. This is important for us to to wrestle with because when we come to the church or, or really any community, any gathering of people, religious or secular, all too often we bring to it our own expectations and judge it according to our own framework of how it ought to be. This is nothing new. I mean, the, the, the 24-hour news cycle has made bank bringing pundits' own expectations to how the politics of our country ought to run. Even here in Ephesus, Paul is dealing with how the Jews and the Gentiles were all looking at the world and at the church through their own lens. And there was conflict and hostility developing between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And we could spend a lot of time detailing the exact nature of that disagreement, but it basically boiled down to this. Each side was looking at the other and saying, if you would only be more like us, Things would be better here. But Paul comes to them and he sees this division and he addresses it not by trying to salve both sides. Look, I understand where you're coming from. And, you know, you have a real point here. And I see uh, how it is that you feel that you've been treated. and, And maybe we can talk more about it. He says, enough of this with both of you. In Christ... Both of you have access to God through one spirit. Whether Jew or Gentile, whether men or women, whether slave or free, it is your access to God comes in Christ and in Christ alone. Christ who is your peace. And this Christ sacrificed himself and in his sacrifice on the cross, bore in his body your sin and your shame and your selfishness and all of the things that could possibly bring division between you. And in taking that stuff into his body and bearing the consequences by dying on the cross in his flesh, he began the process to tear down that dividing wall of hostility between people. And he is making one man out of the two. He is taking people from diverse backgrounds and nations and making them fellow citizens of the very kingdom of God. He is taking people from different families and nations who speak different languages and have different understandings and ways to view the world, and he's making them members of the household of God. And all of this is happening, understand. Not because people are becoming more like you or because your expectations are being met or because of the way you think things ought to be run is the way things are being run. All of this is happening because Jesus Christ, our peace, is doing it. And that's good news. Have you ever found yourself in a debate or disagreement or argument or fight with someone and like you are just beside yourself? How can this person see the world this way? 
because their, their thinking becomes so corrupted as if you're immune from any corruption at all whatsoever. And, and you keep coming at them with all of your arguments, and, and it doesn't ever seem to make a dent. happens in that same disagreement when the people come at one another in the love of Christ himself. I remember a long time ago when I did campus ministry, Tracy and I got into a fight. I do not remember what it was about. She might, you can ask. And I was convinced I was right. I mean, 110% convinced I was right. And she was convinced that she was right. She was wrong, but she was... No. You see what I did there, right? And we got so sideways with one another. Like, we're just angry. And I have to go preach at the campus ministry group that night, right? Like, I'm going to let them have it. Uh, here, here's the thing that my wife did. She, she comes at me this way, and she says, look, I know you think you're right. And I remember, I don't remember what it was, but I remember thinking in my head, mm-hmm. you know I'm right. Like just having this arrogant thought in my head. She says, and I think I'm right. But what's more important is that we are right. That I love you. And that we shouldn't let anything come between that. As we hugged and I'm blubbering and I'm going off to preach at large group. Oh, I, I feel like it was the best sermon I ever preached. I don't know if it was or not, but I saw the gospel displayed before me. See, this is the principle that you need to understand that, that healthy, truly healthy relationships need the gospel. They need Christ to be at work to bring peace. Too often in our marriages, spouses see one another as the enemy, as the obstacle, as the reason there is no happiness in that relationship. We never turn that that lens on ourselves. We never turn that, that spotlight on ourselves. But what if we did? What if we saw for just a minute how desperately we needed Christ to heal us? of all the ways that we are blind, of all the ways that we have hurt those around us, would it not cause us to approach one with whom we have disagreement with kindness and with patience and with humility? Or or even more, what if we had God's vision for our spouse where we looked out and we didn't see this person who's standing in my way of happiness, but we saw one made in God's image, beloved of God, healed in Christ and saved from their sins, in whom God is at work. Would it not give us pause before we stood over them as God and Lord and judge with condemnation? We need this as parents. It's been said that that your children aren't giving you a hard time as much as they are having a hard time. What does it mean for you then, parents, to run to them the way Christ runs to sinners? 
to meet them in their moment of need, even in their wickedness and their sin and their rebellion and their belligerence, to meet them there with the grace and love and compassion of Christ who went and preached the gospel to those who were far off and to those who were near. Christ, whose heart for sinners makes him run to them, offer peace he purchased through his own blood. What would it look like for us to model the grace that God the Father has toward us, to our own children in their need? Maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you are single. And you begin to wonder in a series like this, is there any place for me? Is there any point for me in this? Because all too often the church acts as if those who are single, childless, are sort of second-class citizens. And they get left out of the planning, and they get left out of the social events. What the Apostle Paul is saying here, you shouldn't miss there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. That we all need one another. And the Lord may not have given you children. And there is a grief in that, I am sure. A grief that he is able to comfort and soothe in his time, in his spirit. He has made you a part of his family, his household, where there are children of all ages abounding. You might have ministry to them as if they were your own. Some of you long to be so connected to another person in marriage Maybe you haven't found that person, or maybe you had that person and you have lost them. You begin to wonder, what is there for you in a place, children's ministry, couples' dinners, and all these things seem to reign, and yet the, the good news comes to you too. Reminds you that you are the bride of Christ. That that whatever earthly connection we have with people pales in comparison to what Christ invites us into in our relationship with Him. But when we as the church gather, we gather with God's eyes to see Christ, our peace, and what he is doing? Or do we stand in judgment? Do we come just to to mooch and consume and then go about our own way? Do we see we in him together are accessing the very throne room of our Heavenly Father, that we are living as members of the same family, that we are citizens of the same kingdom, and that God has invited us to participate in His work in this world in a way that is glorious 
and ought to shape and transform every relationship we have. Because every relationship needs that good news that Christ, our peace, unites us to one another by uniting us to himself. The second thing I want you to see is that Christ, our cornerstone, grows us in his likeness. If we have the tendency to come into different communities and different groups and and impose our own expectations on what should be taking place instead of looking to what God is doing, we also have a tendency to forget how long real change takes. And when things don't just snap to, we get impatient and frustrated and upset and angry and all sorts of division results. There's been more than one time where I've had the thought that I'm just going to tear up my entire yard and replace it with AstroTurf. All right, I mean, some of you feel, feel exactly what I'm feeling. And, you know, we, we bought a house that's a glorious house. We love it. It was a part of an estate, and some of the natural areas had become wild areas, and it took Wilkes and I three years to, to just get the English ivy under control, much less make the flower beds presentable. The deer managed to just eat everything. They will not eat AstroTurf, I bet you. And it seems like it would be a lot easier. But one day I went to Gary Whiting's house and edged his little sidewalk and took a bunch of St. Augustine grass plugs from it and planted them in my yard. And years and years later, it's almost taken over the whole space and it's Glorious. I like just to walk through it. It's luscious. I don't do anything. It just is there. It grows. Rain comes and God does stuff. We're redoing the flower beds because it's nice to pull up to the house and just see something that's just welcoming and inviting and beautiful and not full of weeds like it is now. And but you know what? That's going to take work and it's going to take maintenance and it's going to take weeding and it's going to be worth it. That's what gardening teaches us. If you want the fruit, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes work. It takes investment. Change doesn't happen overnight. And what we see here in this passage is that, that we, as members of the household of God, are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the, the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows, grows like a vine, like a tree. And that's, it's the whole church. It's the whole part of it. And we are founded on the, the sure foundation of the apostles and prophets who have given us God's unchanging word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are, are governed by Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is perfect and holy and righteous in all his ways. And and he hasn't left a single part of the structure out. The whole structure is joined to him, and yet it is growing in him as well, growing together. And that doesn't happen overnight. This is the principle 
that we need to understand in the church that change is a process, not an event. Borrowing that language from Paul Tripp, the resources are printed there in your bulletin if you want to read them yourselves. But he makes much of this true statement. Change is a process, not an event. The problem is we forget this and treat our lives in terms of little events and we don't take the long view of what it means to grow and change. Think about it this way. Maybe you are the sort of person who has a tendency to to lose your temper. You get irate when things just don't go your way. I don't know anything about that particular temptation. My wife is laughing at me right now because I know exactly how that feels. Or maybe, maybe you're not like that. Maybe you don't lash out when things don't go your way. Maybe you withdraw. You, you close the door. You, you, you give the silent treatment or the cold shoulder. You withdraw. Maybe you uh, invest in something else. Addictions or people or ministries or whatever. whatever. Things don't go well and you have a tendency to do something that's not good or not healthy. And, and maybe you've lost your temper. Or maybe you've given this cold shoulder treatment. Or maybe you've drunk too much and you come back to the person or people that you've hurt and you've said, I'm so sorry. It was wrong of me to do that. And you would be right in saying so. And they forgive you. And then you act, and then it's done. It's done. And you move on. But then you do it again. And again. And again. And again. And again. And always thinking after you ask for forgiveness and you receive it that it's all done because you're thinking that the change is just an event. Oh, I lost my temper. I confessed it. Uh, uh, forgiven. Everything's fine. But imagine if you keep doing this every year, two, 10, or 20. Or 30. Imagine the toll that that takes because you haven't had eyes to see the long view. God is not simply asking you to confront and confess your sin, but to grow. To bear fruit. Not just any kind of fruit. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you look for the landscape of your relationships with your spouse, with your parents, with your children, your neighbors, with your coworkers, do you see a little collection of events that you hoped would bring about good? Or do you see an arc of growth and change where Jesus is making you more and more like himself? Sometimes we don't even see the change that needs to take place. This is why God brings us all together. He doesn't bring people together into the covenant community, the church, and then we're all perfect. Oh, I wish it were so. Oh, he brings us together because it's amazing how people see things differently. It can be aggravating, right? It can be so aggravating that there's so, so, so many diverse opinions and ways to view the world. Yet you throw those people together and sometimes they see something about you that you don't see. 
you singles especially. Sometimes we, you, you just think, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm happy, I'm content. But sin, sin blinds us. And if we don't have other people in our lives sharpening us, other people in our lives investing in us, other people in our lives loving us enough to say, hey, brother, sister, you see this, then we'll never know where we need to grow to begin with. So God puts us together. What would it look like, parents, for you to take that long view with your children? How many of you, well, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but maybe you've said, I've told you this, if I've told you this once, I've told you this a hundred times, right? Like, like, as if saying it one time, the, the child will immediately get it, understand it, and apply it perfectly. Like, like you did when you were their age, Right? How many times has God had to tell you the same thing over and over and over again? And he does so graciously and persistently and kindly. What would it look like if we didn't just see our, our children and our relationship with them as these events that we had to like, oh, there's this big moment, I've really got to speak truth and then they'll be changed, but as this unending conversation Gracious, kind, true. Where we are seeking to guide and shape and point them to Jesus. I mean, even in the little things, how, how often do you say to your spouse, to your children, to your parents, I love you? Oh, well, they know. They know I love you. Know, I, I work hard. They know how I love them. But how do you say it? You live it. Thinking not, oh, it was an event. I said it once. But it's a part of that unending conversation, always going back to the same critical gospel truths. How does God change us as a church? Where are the where are the places that you see that we need to grow? How is the Lord using you in love to help bring about and spark that growth? Christ, our cornerstone, he grows us in his likeness. That is not an overnight affair. It takes the entirety of our lives, and we as believers in the church need to take that long view. That no matter how it may seem, not the, even the gates of hell will stand against his people, his bride, who he is taking to glory. Does that shape the way we treat one another? So the last thing I want you to consider is that Christ, our God, builds us into a holy temple to dwell in. This, this may be our biggest fault when we think about the church, when we think about our relationships, when we think about what God is doing is that we lose sight of what His purposes are. When the church isn't meeting our needs or isn't conforming to our plans, when our spouse isn't jumping to, to fix our problems, when our children are making our lives 
more difficult than we want them to be, we lose sight. What is God, the King and Master and Lord of all the universe doing? What are His purposes? And what Paul reminds the Ephesian Christians here and reminds us of is this, that we are being built into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. This imagery is, is, is insignificant and intentional because the temple was the place where heaven and earth met. You had the world, then you had the outer courts. You had the, the holy place, the inner court, that only the priests could go. And then you had the holy of holies, where only the high priests could go. And even that only once a year. And the Ark of the Covenant was there in that room. God's throne, his war chariot. There, that is where God made his presence dwell with his people. It is where heaven came to meet earth. Even as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we want God's presence to come. And what Paul is telling the Christians in Ephesus and telling us is that the church is that place. We are God's temple. We are the place where His Spirit dwells, where God makes His presence known. And He reveals His glory to the world through us. What is it that the Lord Jesus Christ tells His disciples? They will know you are mine by how well you recite the Westminster Shorter Catechism in under 10 minutes. They will know you are mine by how often you serve at the soup kitchen. They will know you are mine by how full your bookshelves are with good theology and not bad theology. They will know you are mine by what car you drive, what house you live. What's the answer? Help me out. They will know your mind by how, by how you love one another. And in this, God is challenging his people, this truth. The world, the world needs the good news and the instrument, the means, the, the, the way in which God is revealing his glory to the world and the power of the Holy Spirit is through his people. How we treat one another reveals the God we worship. Whether it's the one true living God or some God of our own construction, how we treat other people reveals what we really worship. You married couples have the privilege to live out the gospel in your relationship, to model to the world what it means that Christ and his church are reconciled to one another and that it's not in your strength or because you're all happy, happy, happy all the time, but because Jesus is your peace. and He is at work growing you more and more in him. Is, is that what your marriage communicates? Does it communicate that through clenched teeth, you can make everything look just fine? Or you can just toss up your hands and say, forget it. Jesus has no power here. 
you parents. We're so tempted to think of our role in our children's life as that of an owner or a master, and we need to just tell the kids what they're supposed to do, and, and we become excellent behaviorists and get PhDs from all the great universities. But we are not their owners. We are ambassadors of God through them. God has entrusted them to us that we might reveal to them the glory of who he is. Here in this place, whether you are old or young, male or female, married or single, a child or a parent or whatever, he has invited us to be a place where we live in such a way that it can be said they don't live in their own strength. They don't live according to their own righteousness. They don't live according to their own expectations. They don't approach life by their own power. But Christ, their peace, Christ, their cornerstone, Christ, their God, He is alive in them. And that's amazing. Here, you might be wondering, where do I even start? This might seem too high and holy a calling for you. You might wonder if the damage that you've done is too great. You might wish that you could take back those words. But if the church is going to be ground zero for the Lord's work to heal and perfect our love for God and our love for neighbor, that is not going to come about through mere human effort. Where do you start? Start with Christ, your God, your cornerstone, your peace. And if you would see deeper change in your relationships with your spouse or your children or your neighbors or your coworkers or your friends or your fellow church members, you should go deeper in your relationship with him and his people, and see what he can do. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be at work in this way. We need you to abound to us with your resurrection power, that we might repent of our own expectations, of our idols, of our truncated view, we would see things anew the way you see things. We would rejoice in Christ who is at work killing the hostility. Help us to be participants in his work that we might be a people that it said, not to our glory, but to yours, There is a place where God is working with might, power to bring peace. Do this for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen.